Ladies and gentlemen, Martin Freeman. Hello, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's my pleasure. Um, everyone here probably first met you in the office. Yeah, maybe But so. there was a bit of backstory before we got there. Can you just fill us in on how you got to the point of becoming a kind of, you know, everybody's most lovable yeah. Tim? Um, I, that was about, it was about five or six years after I left drama school. I was at Central in North London for three years, and, uh, and I'd done a lot of theatre and small bits on TV and short films and stuff. And around about the time I got the office, I was um, I was being seen a lot and doing little bits for BBC comedy. I suppose mm -hmm. I was so I was kind of well known to that department as a as a young actor um, who could do who could sort of be a bit funny. Mm -hmm. um, but I never saw that as my you know I, I was an actor who could be funny as opposed to a stand up. But I found myself in the company of a lot of people who were stand-ups, I guess, you know, and, or who had that background, like a straight comedy background. Uh, and then I, yeah, I mean, I, I got to the office actually via, I had done a sketch show that Ricky Gervais wrote on, a sketch show called Bruiser, um, that had Mitchell and Webb in it and Olivia Coleman and Matt Holness. Um, and it was a sketch show that very few people saw, but I'd, I'd first met Ricky there and we'd liked each other. And he never said, oh, and you're going to be in my thing. But about six or eight months later or whatever, when I went up for the office, um, he wasn't actually there, but Stephen Merchant was there with Asha Tala, the producer. And um, thankfully for me, uh, that audition went well. But uh, yeah, I was, I was knocking about doing, I was always working, you know, but I wasn't famous. But you had, you always wanted to be an actor? Yeah. Well, from about 17, yeah. Right. I joined youth theatre when I was about 15 in Teddington, where I grew up, and um, yeah, from about 17, I thought it was something that I thought I could do. Mm -hmm. I, so, I gradually had the confidence to think that I could maybe have a try at it, as opposed to just, I, I always really enjoyed it, mm -hmm. but I used to look at, with awe at people who could sight read, or people who could kind of make anything look real or effortless, and I think, oh, that's amazing, and then, and then sort of little by little, I kind of thought, well, I think I can do that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I then went to college and then auditioned for drama school. And drama school you dropped out of? Well, no, I didn't drop out, but I, I left slightly early. I left slightly because I got a job. I, yeah. Yeah, um, in the third year, for those not familiar with this, um, the idea is anyway, agents and business people come and see major drama schools in their third year and see young actors and see who they might like or whatever. And, and a few of us had agents, but then uh, the... Yeah, I, I ended up leaving early to go and work with Matthew Watchers at the National Theatre um, in Volpone, and then I did Mother Courage there. But yeah, I left. I left a few months early, so I didn't actually, I didn't properly get my degree from Central. <laughs> but, yeah, it's been a now. bone of contention ever yeah. since. They, and when you went to work at the National, you've talked before about how you were effectively a spear carrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was that, which presumably means you got to watch a lot of people. I did, yeah, absolutely. And how was yeah. that? It was amazing. It was, it was really, it was, I mean, looking back on it, I was 23 and, um, and it was startling really because I'd, I'd literally been at Central on the Friday and then I was um, rehearsing at the National Theatre on Monday and the first person I met there was Simon Russell Beale, you know, and he was very nice and very welcoming and seemed as nervous as I was, weirdly, you know. Um, but watching him, watching Michael Gambon in, in that production, then in Mother Courage, kind of watching Diana Rigg and Jeff Hutchings and David Bradley, and it was, it was, 
it was amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and I was, as I said, I was doing very little in those productions. Any little bits I had, I kind of, believe me, I clung on to. But um, you got to do a lot of looking and learning. It was a fantastic place to learn. And did they ever contradict what you've been told at drama school? <coughs> I used to train, I was involved in a company that trained screenwriters and we would tell them certain things and then yeah. put them up in front of Charlie Kaufman and everything yeah. they'd been told would be thrown up in the air. To, a certain, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, I remember um, first realising, and I didn't know, I didn't know Michael Gambon, for instance, had a reputation for arsing about. I didn't know that. <laughs> but he does, he, he does. And because um, I was young, what did I know? And then halfway through rehearsals, he started. He, he has this big speech as Volponi, where he's talking to a crowd of people, a sort of mountebank speech, where he's trying to sell him a load of kind of hooky gear, you know. And um, and he started just making shit up, you know. And I thought, well, ha, oh, that's very funny. He won't be doing that, obviously, for real. But he did. He did, you know, <laughs> like pretty much every performance, he had this probably four-minute stand-up. And it ended up being stand-up, where he would be talking... Uh, you know, Ben Johnson wasn't writing about Nancy Sinatra and pot noodles, you know what I mean? Like, that was pure Michael Gambon. So, so even though that wasn't exactly... Uh, that's not what Matthew Watches asked him to do. Yeah. But uh, that's what he was doing. And, um, and so, yeah, you would never have thought, as a sort of serious acting student, that that's what the great and the good will be doing. And they're, and they're, they're not all doing that, but that's part of someone like his... Greatness actually is he's loose and I and I, I mean actually thinking about it now there's a real the dual thing of like the professionalism say that the real razor sharp um, surgeon like work of Simon Russell Beale and the really sort of looseness of Michael Gamba not that he's also not professional and and precise but two very different approaches mm -hmm. and uh, and I, th I think those were a really good first introduction to work for a young person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you because I was, seeing, I was seeing, I think, Michael, you know, Michael uh, Gamble would be completely mesmerising in one way and Simon Russell Beale would be the same in a very different way, you know, mm. but they would complement each other, you know. And you went from that to The Bill. Is that your first credit? That was my first TV credit. I mean, I, again, at the time, I was... <clears throat> I'd already done... I left in 95. I left drama school in 95 and then... For a good year and a half, all I did was solid theatre, you know, all, all around the place. And, um, but my first TV credit was The Bill, yeah, yeah. Which is probably everybody who's ever sat in that chair. Yeah. That's what they say, The Bill yeah, casualty. Yeah, yeah. Apart why, from why? Nicole Kidman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But why do you think that's She such... did Doctors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why do you think that's such good training? Well, um, I, not wanting to disparage the bill. I don't know that it's good training, it's just that's what there was, you know, that's what that what was around. It was a sort of a, a kind of rep for actors, really. Mm. Um, it ended up being good training because of the speed of it. And, you know, people were using terms that I, I didn't know. Um, I didn't know what anyone was talking about for the two weeks I was on it. <laughs> so when people would say, Mike, come ahead, favour the wall. What? What do you mean, favour the wall? Oh, you mean walk near the wall? Right. <laughs> And if you could just banana over there, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, walk in a curve, right? Okay. Um, but yeah, the speed of it, and um, I, I, and I was, you know, I was fairly bad on the bill. You know, I was fairly bad in my little guest lead, but but it was uh, a good, very steep, quick learning curve. You know, and, but I, through that and through, I was I've always been lucky enough to work. Thank God. You want to get better. Mm. And so the next, I, I think the next time I was in front of the camera, I knew to slightly 
just do less. Just not. I think that the hard thing, or the common thing, I think, with young actors, or actors who don't work that much, is you put them in front of a camera and they're going to do all of their acting at one go. You know, they're going to do all of their acting in two lines. Because it's very difficult not to, because what else are you going to do? Um, so that it's a gradual thing about learning to refine and refine and re and, until eventually you are, hopefully, and unless you are really required to, depending on what play you're doing, you're hopefully doing nothing at all. And that's, that's the, I think that's the goal of enlightenment. That's when you reach Zen, is when you're doing nothing. Or at least what looks like nothing. You know, the audience, you're actually doing loads, but it has to look like nothing, you know, or, or people just smell it a mile off. Do you remember the audition process for this? You said you knew Ricky. Yes, I do remember the audition process. Um, I went in, I went in to actually to read for the part of Gareth. Um, who Mackenzie Crook ended up playing brilliantly. But I went, I, went, I went in for Gareth, and it was Stephen Merchant and Asha Taller. And, and I did my reading of Gareth, whatever that would have been. I don't, you know, whatever, I can't remember what I did. But, um, and I was on my, I was, it was, it's really like a showbiz story. And I don't know if it's become a showbiz story because I'm naturally an actor, so therefore I'm a twat. And so therefore <laughs> built it up to being this. But I'm pretty sure this is really what happened. I was on my way out, the and I had my hand on the door. I think this is true. <laughs> I don't know. But um, I think this is true. And, um, and Stephen Merchant or Ash said, Ashley, can we get Martin in maybe to read Tim? I think maybe that, that might be a good thing. And, uh, and obviously, I'd, I'd seen the first episode script, and I really liked it, so I knew the character of Tim. Mm -hmm. um, so I sat back down and read Tim, and, and thank God I did, you know, because I wouldn't have got cast as... Gareth over Mackenzie because he was so perfect for it. But yeah, thankfully that was a, a good fit. Yeah, mm -hmm. but it, I could very nearly have not been in the office. Did you like auditioning? Do you like auditioning? Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't love it. I don't think. I don't think many actors love it. But um, but there is a period where when you start getting offered, if you are lucky enough to be offered work, mm -hmm. it. On the one hand, it's a real relief, and on the on the other hand, you're wondering if you deserve it. You know what I mean? If you've earned it, because because uh, you think well. Have I thought for it or, you know, because you're really in the trenches there where, you know, when you're in a room, when you're in a corridor, you know, with 20 other people um, and you get the part and you think, oh, God, I, I was, I won out over those. And, and, but, and when you start to be offered things, um, of course, it's delightful. And please, God, I don't want to then go back to the corridor. But, um, but you do think, I wonder if, yeah, part of you wonders if you're a fraud. Yeah. You wonder who you beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did, how tightly scripted was The Office? I mean, did you have room to play with it, or did you...? You did have room to play with it, yeah. I think, I think probably what, what I feel happened in the aftermath of the success of The Office was that when people... Because it looks improvised, because it, because it looks like we're improvising on camera, people would ask Ricky and Steve, is it improvised? And they basically <laughs> came back, no, none of it's improvised. No, it's, it's all totally... Which is true. It was very scripted. It was very scripted. But to say it was not loose would be not true. You know what I mean? Mm. And to say, anyone who knows, you know, there's a couple of people in the audience who have known me for a very long time, and they know that there's things that I say in that that are only me. You know what I mean? I'm sure the same for Lucy or Mackenzie, you know. Um, that doesn't mean I'm going to take a co-write or push for it. Oh, it was improvised. It wasn't improvised. It was a scripted comedy that I think they were... Uh, I mean, A, the scripts were fantastic, mm. but also Ricky and Stephen were smart and generous enough to allow you to be loose with it. Because mm. if you trust the people who are being loose, 
good things can happen, you know. Um, we weren't kind of improvising whole scenes on camera or going, I think, I think my character should go down. It wasn't that. It was totally shaped and formed. But, yeah, was, we were allowed to be loose, and that was... I think that's what you see on the show. And what was the dynamic between, between the, the two of them, Ricky being in yeah. it, and the rest of the cast? Um, well, I think Ricky was, a, was and is an amazing person. I've not seen him for a long time, but he, he's an amazing person in that he, he struck me as someone who, if he's not making you laugh at any given time, life is a waste of time. I mean, like, it's not actually worth living unless you are sort of convulsing in pain at something he's just said. <laughs> Brilliant, but on the other, really infuriating if you've got 10 minutes to go and a half a page to do. And you think, mate, this is your show. Why are you... Stop making everyone like... Because deliberately corpsing me isn't going to get the day finished because I can't, I can't carry on if you're making me laugh. So it's like a sort of pathological thing for him, I think, you know. Um, it's a very... I always felt he was like one of the best natural actors I'd ever worked with, you know. Like everything he knows instinctively is pretty bang on, I think. Not, and not having been trained in it and not having a, an actor's background, um, he's, I thought he was amazing, mm. you know. And what about Tim? I mean, Tim's a really fantastically sort of non-showy, yeah. relatively passive character, yeah. which is why that sequence is so dramatic. It's such a big yeah, deal yeah. for him to do that. Yes. Did you like Tim? I loved him, yeah. I really loved him. I think because he was... I was able to put a lot of me in it. I was, there was a bit of my brother Tim in it as well. There was... Um, it felt familiar to me as someone who, um, and not that I'm not I'm not always like that, but as someone who is a, an observer of stuff and finds things ridiculous and awkward and embarrassing a lot of the time. Yeah, uh, and as a sort of as a conduit for that, I really enjoyed playing him because he was the funniest. He as a character, he was the funniest person in that office because he had a, the truest, best sense of humour. Mm -hmm. But the audience at home, obviously, David Brent is the, you know, because that's a, a hilarious incarnation of a character. But as, as a real person, Tim was a funny bloke, you know, and he, he had a real eye for um, what was amusing. But he was as happy to keep it to himself as he was to share it. Mm. And uh, I liked him very much, yeah. But also amazingly tragic, like that scene. Yeah, it's I know. really hard, it's hard again, to watch. I think that was, you know, to give credit to Ricky and Steve, they, they wanted all that stuff to be as important as the David Brent comic relief dance or whatever. You know what I mean? Like the, the, so there are sort of the office greatest hits, which usually involve David Brent, mm -hmm. understandably, because it, it's a fantastic character performed fantastically. But the really good B-sides, I think, of the... Um, yeah, the more sort of straight bits, actually, the more dramatic bits, mm. you know. So it felt, you know, from my career's point of view, it felt... Uh, that was a big show. Like, you know, for those of you too young, to, including my kids, they don't give a shit. They don't care. <laughs> Do you know what they like? The American Office. <laughs> <laughs> they really love The American Office. They barely... That'll be the first time they've seen that. <laughs> um, but The American Office is only one, is one of many, many different language translations, isn't it? Yes, it is. So There's yes. like a Finnish office and an yes. Indian office. Yeah, you know, it, it was a big show. Is that a very surreal experience to see yourself? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is, yeah. I've not stuck with the Finnish one as much as I did with the American <laughs> one. I, like the, I, got, I got more out of the American one <laughs> than the Azerbaijanian one, but <laughs> it's horses for courses. But, no, but having been in a very big comedy, I still felt like... Because what Tim was being required to do was... 
you know, it was almost 50-50 between funny stuff and straight stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was getting the best of both worlds for me as a, uh, as a practitioner because I was flexing both those muscles. You know, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. Let's move from the small screen to the big screen. Mm. You're, you did a few bits and pieces mm. and then you came to Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah. Um, actually, some of those bits and pieces we, all, we clipped, the, yeah. that great Love Actually clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did, did, you, did, you, did you find that you were getting quite a lot of the same characters mm -hmm. sent to you? Yeah. Sort of, him? yeah, versions of. I think in the wake of The Office, um, you know, nice, sort of nice next door boys, you know, um, Love Lawn, yeah, that kind of thing, which I think happens. I had to I had to make my peace with that mm -hmm. because I realised as it went on that ev that happens to every single person. It wasn't just happening. It wasn't, they weren't singling me out. That happens to the greatest actors. Once they've made their thing, then you know you don't think Robert De Niro got offered a few gangsters or you know like, or Al Pacino <laughs> got like the best people who I've always loved. That happens to them. So yeah, I, 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 it's going to happen to me, of course. Um, and I had to. I had to accept it, you know, and, and just still do the best work I could do within that, you know, and still try and make it layered and still try and make it uh, three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. That's always my, my entire uh, belief in anything I do. Is as long as you're making it layered, as long as the audience believe you for that, whether it's half an hour or two hours or whatever, that, for me, is the beginning, middle and end of any actor's job, you know. Whether or not you're doing a, you know, a Senegalese accent with a limp is like that's 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 extra. But if I don't believe you, I don't care. You know what I mean? So, so that, I've always tried to give myself that as the main goal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? E even if, even if you could say, oh, there's a similarity in the world of parts. I think, well, okay, yeah, there is. But th there aren't many people you and I could sit on this stage and name for whom that is not true. Mm -hmm. Meryl Streep might be one. There aren't many. You know, people who are people we love who go, yeah, but they sort of operate in that world. You know, so I think you have to also you have to sort of be realistic about what your what your playing range is. You know, not unambitious because I'm still, you know, I'm still really ambitious. But but also, yeah, I'm probably not going to play the same parts that X, Y, and Z are going to play. You know, or, or be offered those parts. And that's where strategy and your own work and your representations good skills come in about trying to s make people see you in a different light mm -hmm. but yeah at first of course you know I was in love actually because Richard Curtis loved the office you know yeah. let's move to another totally different world yeah. this is the world of Hitchhiker's Guide yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. so this was your first feature lead yes did you was there a sense of sort of anxiety or pressure about that oh, god no <laughs> <laughs> no there wasn't <clears throat> and I don't say that with pride um, but no, there wasn't. It all. What I remember about the audition process for that is I was doing I was doing a I was doing an ITV sitcom at the time. I was filming it. I was rehearsing it, and um, and I went for this audition with Garth Jennings and Nick Goldsmith, the producer, and Garth, the director of this. On they had, they had like a, a boat on the river, presumably, <laughs> <laughs> the top of a tower block, and. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> and their office, a company called Hammer and Tongs, and there was a very sort of homely environment. There were two of the loveliest men you could hope to meet. And mainly what was in my head in that audition was, my ex, Amanda, had driven me there, and 
and I was aware that she had nowhere to park. <clears throat> and so I thought, I'd better hurry up. And it was going very well. And they, you saw the chat was happening and going on and going on. And all I was thinking, a man is going to fucking kill me. <laughs> um, because at no point, and I said, well, it worked because I got the, but at no point did I think, this is a, you know, this is a big deal. Um, and I think that sort of stood me in quite good stead all the time. <laughs> all the time. Because I'm always basically thinking, someone's double parked. I mean, that's, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. And this is the first time that you took on a character that we all knew. Yeah. Uh, because of the TV series, yeah, yeah, yeah. because the books, of the yeah, books. Yeah, yeah. Was that, does that, do you, are you able to kind of bring your own stamp to it? Or to what extent do you, do you feel kind of free to do that? I felt very free to do it uh, within the confines of what the character is, you know. And I think that's, that's true of all of them. I've played a few characters now that have been in, in literature, say, and... Uh, there's no point doing it if, you know, if I was just going to do an impression of Simon Jones or, you know, like, mm -hmm. who was my boyhood version of that part, well, he's already done that. He's done it better than I could do it. So, so there's, there's no point, you know. So that's why, you know, I, want, I definitely wanted a different... I didn't want the kind of, a sort of Uncle Bulgaria dressing gown either, do you know what I mean? I, I wanted something different. I didn't actually want it, because that was toweling. We were doing it in the summer. It was fucking boiling. But, um, <laughs> that was more full me, but... Um, yeah, I, th I think you have to have your own stamp on it because mm -hmm. it makes it fun for you and it makes it not a museum piece or a, or a cover version. It should never be a cover version, you know. And this one was in the works for a long time, but yeah. long before you too, yes. kind of from the 70s, I think. Is that right? I think, so. think they'd been trying to make a Hitchhikers for a long time. Yeah. And I think Douglas Adams said that he didn't want to do it because it was like Star Wars with jokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we, we, so he had... Well, he latterly had help uh, with a screenwriter called Kerry Kirkpatrick, mm -hmm. uh, who helped bring it to life. <clears throat> and Douglas, unfortunately, didn't live to see it uh, made, which was a real tragedy, actually. And there were, but there were, people, um, there were people on our firm who, who did know Douglas and who loved Douglas, and, 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 his, and we got to meet his family a little bit. So it was, it was really nice. It, felt, it did feel like a film made with a lot of love mm -hmm. for him and for the idea for the idea and for the tone of it, I guess, you know. And the tone is very, very British. It's really more British than I am, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's really British. Yeah. In a sort of Monty Python way. Yes, I think so, yes, yeah. Yes, it's very... Um, and I don't say this is anything like a slight... You know, because, like, Monty Python is obviously... It's a huge influence on my life, mm -hmm. as I'm sure everyone of us, you know, between certain ages, but... Uh, but yes, it's very English university sort of humour, yeah. yeah. Were you surprised that it travelled? Uh, I was in a way, but then it didn't travel that well because we didn't get to make another one. <laughs> it did okay though. Yeah, yeah. It did, no, it did really well. I mean, like, I could honestly say at that point, I've got a number one, I've got, I'm in a number one film in America and in Britain. Great. That's, you know, I could have retired on that. You know, that's something to tell your kids. Again, they don't give a shit, they're texting. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Now, but uh, <laughs> they're watching the American office, but um, <laughs> but yeah, that's something that you can say. Well, like, that was a definite, that was a successful film. But I remember having dinner with Garth Jennings shortly after it opened, um, and I said, "Do you think there'll be another one?" He went, "Just didn't. It didn't make enough. You know, it just it has to make a certain amount." And it so I think at, it got to number one very quickly in America, but it didn't sustain. There just wasn't enough there, I think, mm. for, the, for an American audience or for an international... I, it, as you say, it's very, not even British, it's English, man. It's, it's very English, yeah. 
You've continued with that kind of very like poster boy for British humour with the Cornetto trilogy, which right, I'm yeah. gutted that we can't screen, right. um, and Nativity as well. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about those, particularly the relationship with Simon Pegg? Yeah. Well, I'm not Simon Pegg. Good. Uh, just to, uh, that's why I asked. Just to clarify, um, we do, yes. Uh, the running joke between me and Simon, and John Sim, actually, is that uh, we're all, <laughs> we're, if we're in a pub or a park, then we're, we're sort of each other's stand-ins for, for compliments or, you know. I loved you in that life on Mars. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> yes, it fucking was. No, it wasn't me. Man. It wasn't. Um, so, because I think you end up as an actor in the same roller decks as other people, you know, as other actors. I, yes, I became good friends with Simon many years ago. Um, and Amanda, my ex, and Maureen, Simon's wife, we, we would see each other a lot. Um, and we hung out a lot together. And in the course of that, yeah, Shaun of the Dead happened. I was actually offered another part on Shaun of the Dead. Um, but I was doing, I was doing a thing with Charles II with Joe Wright at the time for the BBC, and so I couldn't do it. So I ended up just doing a sort of joke appearance in Shaun of the Dead with a sort of alternative gang. You sort of follow Shaun's gang, and then they bump into another gang headed headed by the sort of people who are a bit like this gang, you know. So there's like you know there's Tamsin Gregg and um, me and Rishi Smith, and there's people in this other gang. And, and, and that was mine and Simon's and Edgar's, I suppose, little joke to the fact that people think me and Simon are similar. But, and, and then, yeah, Hot Fuzz, I, I play a little bit more in it. And, and then uh, The World's End, I had my biggest role in the Cornetto trilogy where I got my head knocked off by a baseball bat. Um, but were yeah, they just fun, Were they fun? Yeah, they are fun because they're good people. You know, yeah. Simon and Nick and Edgar are really... They're lovely people. Um, and they're friends. And that shows, I think... And there's a, there's a lot of love in those films. And there's a lot of good humour on those sets. And yeah. same with Nativity, my son's yeah, favourite film. Oh, good, I'm yeah. glad. No, I'm really proud of Nativity. I, I absolutely love it. And, and short of... Yeah, yeah there, are some, there are some things I've done which are, you know, big things and very universal. But in, just below that, there's Nativity, actually, because I get more compliments for Nativity than almost almost anything because of the age that it uh, spans. Because parents like it and, you know, kids like it and different generations of kids like it. I really like that film. And Debbie Isaac wrote and directed... Well, I say wrote. We were improvising on camera. <clears throat> she wrote the outline, she wrote the storyboard and, and directed it. Um, and she's a very smart cookie, Debbie. Uh, so smart that I was like, well, just write a screenplay. Please, just write, it, write words so you don't have to go through hours of me improvising badly to edit out, you know. But, um, but she, likes, she likes what happens between humans when they're making stuff up in, on the fly, you know. But, um, Interestingly, all the reviews of that talk about the, the idea that it's ripe for remake, which is ridiculous right. because it seems so yeah. British that uh, Americans wouldn't make a, make a film with that as your lead character. No, probably not. Probably not. I, again, it, <clears throat> as you said, it, it seems very British, I think. Mm. But then, but the people I know from other places that, who have also seen it, they do love it. There is a sort of, you know, people have got kids. Kids go to school. There's a sort of universal experience there about childhood and teachers. And, I mean, you know, not everyone has a nativity play, but um, that sort of thing of a common endeavour to put a performance on, um, that's quite universal, really. Mm. Yeah. We should get to Sherlock. 
Like The Office, it's actually something you come to expecting one thing. You expect it to be a comedy or you expect it to be a whodunit, but actually incredibly poignant moments. Yeah, it yes. I always thought it was just... What I was really struck by when I, first, when I read the first episode um, was just how smart it was and how, how funny it was and exciting. You know, it really moved along at a, a great pace. Um, and it was, it was unexpected for me as well, because I, I was sent this script um, saying, you know, they're looking at you for Dr. Watson. And not only me, they were looking at a few people for Dr. Watson. And, um, yeah, I just, within the first couple of pages, I thought, this is really good. Mm. And I think it just, my experience of it was it just got better. You know, that, that was reading the first script before the pilot, before the first episode, anything. Um, every subsequent episode that I read, certainly of that first series, was, was amazing. It was so full. Um, and, the, you know, and then the decision was made. We, we made an hour-long pilot. And then it went to 90 minutes. And then when it was, we were told it was going to be 90 minutes, and I thought that was a mistake. I thought, well, that's a bad idea. <laughs> it doesn't need to be 90 minutes. That's rubbish. <laughs> Bloody BBC. And, um, no, and I'm, really glad, I'm really glad that was the decision, because it made it like a, a film. Mm. Each, each episode was like a little a film, and it, it made it like a... I think that was partly why people were able to get behind it so much, because there was, there was a lot of it, but not too much of it, you know. With a scene like that, are you able to just put it off and go home and make the tea? I mean, do you, do you bring your work home with you? No. I mean, not, not for things like that, no. I think what I tend to do is... Um, I don't... Was aware when you talk about acting that you you know you're not down a coal mine, so it's like talking about hard work and there's hard work and there's hard work. But I don't pretend that doing that costs me nothing or is easy or I can just I'm not literally having a tea and then go oh yes love I'll come and do the graveside scene. I'm not that, but because you've got to get in a zone without question, you have to concentrate, you have to focus. But yeah, as yes, for me generally, as soon as you call rap on a day, it's yeah, it's over because especially with things like that. And I've just done a, I've just done a show. Now I finished last night where there was some quite heavy stuff in that. And my feeling is I want to get out of that as soon as possible because I've got to go home and see kids and I've got to, you know, I've got to be a normal person. I don't want to, um, I don't want to carry that around, you know. But for, for the duration of the day that you're filming it, yeah, if you don't concentrate on it, to be honest, when you see it in six months' time, it won't be as good as you hoped it would be. Mm. And, I, I, and I've been in that, I've seen that. And I don't want to see it again. You know, I, I want to try and protect myself as much as possible from when I sit down and watch it, you often with my kids, and think... I mean, they do like some things I've done. They like that. But they like they this, do like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they do like that. I, I, I want to be able to be proud of it, you know, or as proud as I can be of it. And so that, that does require real concentration. You know, it's, acting is like anything. It's really easy unless you want to do it well. If you want to be good at something, it's really hard. Football's easy unless you want to be good. You know, like, so to be good at anything takes real work and application and concentration. And for stuff like that, you just, you, you ask for a bit of that atmosphere on the set. And, yeah, and people, you always oblige because everyone in the crew wants it to be good as well. Um, but, yeah, you just, you just need to get in that zone. But after it's over, it's really over, yeah. And tell us about the chemistry between you and Benedict, mm. which is sort of famously the thing that yeah, yeah. makes everyone hysterical. <laughs> How did you... You hadn't worked with him no, before? No, I'd never worked with no. him before. No, I hadn't... I'd seen him. I'd seen some of his work and knew he was really good. 
Um, I really did think he was good. And when I heard he was going to play Shirt, because I, I was sent it, I was sent the script, that, and as far as I remember, again, my agent's here, he can correct me, but I, th I think Ben was attached to play Sherlock Holmes, and I thought, that's really, that's good. I can see that. He'll be brilliant at that. Um, and then when I finally got into a room with him and just sort of read, um, it worked, something worked. Something worked, and, and neither me or Ben can take credit for that. It's just luck, it's good fortune, you know. Um, they said, I think Mark Gatiss said that you, the, that the character, the way he played Sherlock changed after you were cast. <laughs> I'm feeding you here. Not my words. The words of Mark Andrew Gatiss. <laughs> That's not his middle name. Um, no, but I, th I think with, when you're working with good people, uh, I'm sure this, well, he hadn't seen the way I'd played John before, but, you know, Ben had an effect on me. Because you, your job is to react. You know, that old adage of acting is reacting is completely true. Unless you know how to receive something and change accordingly, then there's no good to anyone, you know. Because if someone's giving you A, B and C and you're busy playing F, G and J, then it's, it's pointless. You have to be listening. Ben is very, very good at his job. He's brilliantly cast in that role. Um, and we, something happened, something, some little game of table tennis happened where we were just knocking it back and forth. It was really, it was, it was obvious in the room, I'm not saying it was obvious it was going to be this thing, but it was obvious it, we worked well together, yeah. Mm. When did you realise it was going to be this thing? When it came out, actually, yeah, when it came, the day it came out, I was rehearsing a play at the Royal Court, and uh, the day after, a couple of people in the cast said, I thought, that was really good last night, it was really good. And then... That happened more and more and more and grew sort of exponentially over the course. It's only three episodes, you know, like the first series is three episodes. And seemingly by the end of the, th you know, I think, we, I think we all had screenings around each other's houses for those first three and, may, and for the second series as well. But we were all, I can't remember whose house we were at where it was like, and I'm very behind on social media and stuff, but I, I remember Mark Gatiss being on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Because that's where he lives, okay? You, you've got a Twitter account, I've seen it. You've tweeted like three times. I haven't. Oh, is it not you? Not me. No, never. <laughs> looks been. really it's convincing. And I don't but say that with pride. Like 2013. I don't say that with pride, I just don't know how to work it. But, um, but it, and, and him sort of relaying to the room, oh, God, you know, all this stuff that was happening, you know. I just knew, like with The Office, I knew I was very proud of it. Mm -hmm. That's all I knew, you know. Um, and I knew while we were making it, I. I had that, yeah, I did. And outside of myself, because Paul McGuigan, the director, was absolutely brilliant. Stephen and Mark, brilliant. Ben, brilliant. I thought, this is going to be good. It's, re it's a really good show. Um, but I didn't, yeah, you can't anticipate the, the reaction it's going to have. But I knew I was proud of it. And then something else which got a bit of a reaction, The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. go to Middle Earth now. Yes, yes. <laughs> This is a mega project, yes. you know, three mega films with yes. mega expectations mm -hmm. and a mega part. Mm -hmm. Did you have fear taking it on? I mean, was it an easy yes? No, it wasn't an easy yes, but, but for reasons more of family than anything else, actually, just for practical reasons. Tell um, us how it, how did you film it? How did you, in what period? Uh, I, I went to New Zealand January 2011, mm -hmm. and my last day was like July 2013. Having done all three back to back? 
Yes, not back to back with, with a big gap. So, so yeah, two and a half years between the, the beginning and end, but that wasn't solid. It was there were, there were gaps in that. Um, the the the, the reticence for me was uh, it was more about family. It was more about because um, I was going to be away a long time. Amanda, who was who I was with at the time, she's an actor. She's a working actor. She's a brilliant actor, and and I didn't feel I could just say. It wasn't the 50s, do you know what I mean? I, I couldn't just say, right, you're coming with me. She had her own life, she had her own career. Um, and so that was a big decision for me. All around me, people were going, well, of course it's yeah, of course it is. And yeah, I can see why they were saying that, but it's like, well, I've got, a, you know, I had two young children, um, and I wanted that all to work, you know. So, so that, that was why it was difficult, yes. It, it, again, it wasn't because of the... The fandom thing, it wasn't because of the legacy in literature and films. It, it genuinely wasn't that. It was, Christ, how am I going to make this work for my family? Um, and, and when you're performing in it, yeah. when you're doing your day job, yeah. do you feel the expectation? I mean, all the finances and everything, they know that they've yes. got to hit certain points after Lord of the Rings. It's got to be a yeah. kind of mega success. Yes. Does that translate to the cast or do you just do your no, thing? I, it didn't translate to me, not at all. Mm. No, because because um, Peter Jackson is so sort of omnipresent um, on those jobs that you know he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he's and he's probably having to compartmentalise that himself and thinking I just want to tell this story. Um, so he's probably trying to put the finance stuff on the back burner, all that, all that stuff. It it doesn't. I didn't feel it filtered down to us. No. And then what about the green screen? Because, yeah. you know, you were basically standing on a kind of concrete floor with a few twigs around you. A lot what of the happened? time, yeah. I mean, th there was a fair bit of time that was real. Mm -hmm. We went to, you know, as anyone who's been there knows, New Zealand is a very beautiful country and, um, and it's got lots of different looks. So we did, we did shoot on a lot of different looks. But, yeah, we were also shooting a lot of time in a car park, you know. Um, but is that difficult? Is that a dif so? Does that sort of flexing different muscles as an actor? It is just yeah. It is flexing different muscles as opposed to being something I hated. I'd, I'd, I'd much rather look in someone's eyes and do it. I mean, the, I think McKellen has told this story about the, the first in the first film. There's a scene where all the dwarves come to Bilbo's house and and Gandalf, right? So there's about fifty thousand people in my house, and and because we're all small, but he, but Gandalf is taller. Ian had to be in a separate set where they filmed us both simultaneously on what they call slave motion. So two cameras are doing exactly the same movements at exactly the same time, but filming different little sets. So we had, we, we all, me and the dwarves had each other to look at and a fake Gandalf, right? <laughs> like a, t a green tennis ball Gandalf. And Ian just had a load of fucking green tennis balls to look at <laughs> in his little grief hole. And... Um, and, with, and we all had little earwig earpieces in, so we could hear what the other people were saying on the other set. But we couldn't look into their eyes. We couldn't hear them the way we can hear each other. It was, it was pretty difficult. And I think Ian, <laughs> Ian, by his own admission, found that pretty depressing, I think. Because yeah. um, it sort of went against everything he had done for the past 55 years. Um, we found it hard, too. Uh, but it was beautifully choreographed. And, it, you know, and you see those scenes in the finished film and it's, it's worked, it's seamless, it's beautifully done. You know. And presumably you can't see rushes or if you see rushes I wasn't, there, no. I, no. I certainly was in no position either, I didn't want to and I certainly wouldn't have been shown them anyway. Would you, you not normally do that? 
No, I, I don't think... Also, Russians are kind of different now um, because for previous generations, I guess, when people are invited to Russia's, mm. uh, you're generally not now. That's, I mean, that's, that's just a thing of the past, I think. It's not, it's not happening. Though it's a bit surreal with this one where you did do them effectively, sort of back-to-back, -back, yeah. in that you couldn't see what you'd done in yes. order to No, al it. although you could... Because, because the filming period was so long that we could at least... Um, you know, you're right. You're right, which is why my performance is so uneven. Yeah. <laughs> which is why what explains the Scottish accent in the second one. Um, no, but like the first one came out at the end of 2012, mm -hmm. and so we had to go back in 2013 and do stuff. So, so we kind of we were informed by that. But I think I don't know. You, you're playing that part for so long. We're all playing those parts for so long, and obviously Ian had done it years before. You kind of know what part you're playing, and in some sense, it's and any actor will know this, it, it's sort of wrong anyway to be led by the audience reaction. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's why it's, I find it not helpful if I'm doing a play to read reviews during it, because I don't want to start playing the notes of what they did like or didn't like about what I did. Because um, I think you just have to stick true to, to what you know you're playing. Mm. And, if it's, and if it's suiting you and the director and the artistic team, that's what you've got to keep doing, rather than if it suits a critic or, or your cousin or, you know, you just have to keep going with it. And given that you spent sort of two, three years yeah. sort of in the world of orcs and yeah. elves and Lonely Mountains, I mean, did it send you a bit mad? No, it didn't. Was it a mad honest, way to no, make a living? No, it didn't. No, it... I mean, I think a lot of the time you think it's a mad way to make a living as an actor. You mean generally? Yeah. Yeah, yeah what, whatever you're doing. I mean, I've just been doing a very naturalistic set in the now real world thing. And, but, and even then, you find yourself in situations where you think this is not what the careers officer had in mind, you know. But, um, but yeah, and that, that's just a more extreme version of that. And there, there were times, I think, when I and everyone on the, on the Hobbit films felt this was just like a, how is this going to work, you know? How's this going to work? We're just filming in a sort of, in a nothing space and it's going to become this amazing elven kingdom. It is, it's very, very impressive. And it's nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? Like it's, you're doing your bit, but you're a little cog in a massive wheel with... Uh, I walked onto the set of The Hobbit the first time, the first day I walked onto it, and it was like walking into NASA. Because there were like banks of people at laptops, or not laptops, but computers just doing this. Hello. You know, doing that. <laughs> and it, it wasn't like a rehearsal room, put it that way. You know, it wasn't like a sort of normal film set. It was very, very techno. Um, but all those techno people are also very creative and they're also kind of artists as well. Um, so everyone is going towards the same endeavour, but you, you, your little bit of acting, even though it is ultimately people want to see human experience, all the stuff going on around you and all the cleverness and great spectacle is nothing to do with you. you know? mm. yeah. Let's move to the snowy North American wastes for a bit of Fargo. Mm. So obviously everyone knows this is loosely based mm -hmm. on the world that the Coen brothers created for Fargo, which is a much-loved yeah. world, yeah. much-loved <laughs> film. Yes. Was it much-loved by you? Uh, yeah, I, I, I really liked it, but I hadn't seen... I wasn't... a Fargoologist or anything. I, like, I hadn't seen it multiple times. I'd, I'd seen it when it came out, really liked it. Loved the tone that they got and the, that particular flavour that they got. Um, but that was, you know, I hadn't seen it. Before I did it, I hadn't seen it for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. 
And did you trust that it was going to work, the kind of set, taking the kind of sense and the tone and the location? And then yeah, because turning I read the first new? episode. Again, uh, so much of my job and so much anything I can take credit for, one of the things is that my, I have to trust my own taste. Mm. And, I, and this was a case where, you know, my American representation did a fine job in getting to a point where I was being sent an offer for, for this show. Um, again, I was, fil I was filming series three of Sherlock and I was staying in a hotel. I got this uh, episode one through. And it was that, that scene was the clincher for me. It was like, this is, you know, I'm going to be doing that with Billy Bob Thornton. Of course I'm going to fucking do it. You know, that's, that's <laughs> too good not to do, you know. Um, and it was a straight offer. And, and there weren't... For where Lester Nygaard gets to go in those episodes, um, not everyone's seen me do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, so it was really lovely to be offered it and to be trusted with that. Also with that accent, with that particular flavour. You know, that's not something I'm doing all the time. And so to, to have that trust is a real confidence boost. And you know. tell us about that accent, because obviously that's such a massive part of yeah. this. Is, yeah. is that constraining or liberating or it's very fun liberating or... it's totally liberating I think when any, when anything is written with an accent in mind written well mm -hmm. with an accent in mind there is just that tune in your ear you know and, and and in a way it can only be said in that accent you know it makes complete sense in that accent so I'm yeah I worked very hard at it you know I, I kept I kept it up a lot. Are the, are the scripts written with that accent? I yeah. mean, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Billy's character, Lorne Malvo, is not because he's a drifter from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. But everyone else has that that has that tune, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and it is um, it's everywhere in the script. Yeah. And it's interesting what you just said about your character progressed because yeah. obviously, you know, from t Tim in the office, your character progression was he tells Dawn what he thinks, but that's like a tiny little yeah, step. Yeah, yeah. This he goes to comes a yeah, yeah. massive killer and hits yes. his wife with a hammer and and then. Uh, orchestrates the death of his next wife. Which presumably yeah. is hugely entertaining. It's massively entertaining, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's um, it contained within that first episode were so many things that as an actor you want to play. Mm -hmm. um, again, it was just, it was, it was too good not to, you know. I, I think, because my managers had always known that I'm just not going to do American TV, I'm not going to do it. Because in those days, which seems like 100 years ago now, like sort of just about not quite pre-Netflix, but as Netflix was coming up, you know, you had to sign on the line for seven years, you know, before you'd even kind of committed to the pilot, you know. I was never going to do that again, because I am I have a family, and I'm not just going to up sticks and go somewhere else for seven years. But, um, but this was finite. It was ten episodes. So they said, look, read this. I know it's American TV, but it's only ten episodes. It's an offer. I think it's really good. And, and, I, and it was, of course, brilliant. It was... Uh, Noah Hawley was the writer and showrunner, and he did a fantastic job of kind of getting the, that tone of the Coens and just running with it himself. You know, people say to me, "What's it like working with the Coen brothers?" Like, I have no idea. I've never met them. You know, <laughs> they were they were executive producers on it, but I think that just involved them going, "Yeah, okay, you can do it." You know, it was, uh, they gave their blessing, but we never met them. You know. We've got one final clip, mm. and we're going to go into the Marvel world. Oh. Uh, so let's uh, see a little clip from Black Panther. Mm. So this is obviously the second outing for Everett. Yes, um, Everett Ross appeared in the previous Captain America film yeah. in a small part, and then it was always going to be the deal that Everett kind of had a, 
more to do in the Black Panther film. Yeah. Okay, and he, what was the appeal of him? Because he couldn't be further from where we started this evening. Well, uh, I, in his world, you know, like he's a fish out of water when he gets to Wakanda, obviously, but, um, but in his world, he's got real high status. Mm -hmm. he's, he's kind of within the CIA, let's say. Um, he's quite a big fish. He's a major sort of dude, you know. Um, and I like... Because I've played a lot of people who, who aren't very confident. And I've, you know, played a lot of people who are sort of awkward. But I also like playing people who are confident. It's sort of, um, it's quite relaxing. <laughs> um, just to be able to, you know, playing someone who w walks into a room knowing that the room is there for him. Now, again, he finds himself in a world where that's not the case. But on his own turf, he has status. And it's kind of, it's fun playing people... It's, it's fun playing all of it. You know, it's, I like pay, playing people with status sometimes because you don't get to... You, you definitely don't end up kind of doing little ticks and stuff that you've done a lot before mm -hmm. when you're playing, you know, nervous man from Surrey, you know. <laughs> nervous, disappointed man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Thwarted man, yeah. yeah. With, with this one, I mean, you know, we talked about Sherlock being a thing. Mm. Good grief. Did you know this was going to be the thing it became? Again, not, not to the extent that it was, but when we were making it and before I was doing it, you know, I, I knew people who were very excited about it and I was hearing that people were very excited about it. Um, I knew it had an audience. We all knew it had an audience. And I thought it was really good what, what was happening on set every day. I thought this is very impressive. I was very impressed. Because you and Andy Serkis are the only two white actors in the film. I don't see colour. <laughs> I refuse to see. Uh, yeah, and uh, and I obviously I'm old mates with Andy, and um, that that was really lovely. You know, um, I love those scenes between those characters. Yeah, they're they're great scenes. But I but I'm also you know I really liked Ryan Coogler, who was the director and co-writer, and he's a very smart guy, and very. What I liked about him was that because he's young, you know. Um, he. It sounds obvious to say he cared, but he really poured himself into it mm. a lot and took nothing, nothing for granted. You know, you could see it was, it was work. Mm. I mean, it was, he was going to work every day and not leaving anything in the locker, as they say. And how does it work when you enter that kind of Marvel universe yeah. where, I mean, how much control, how, how much is dictated about your performance, yeah. what the thing looks like? Nothing you know, felt dictated, actually. No, it felt... Uh, the, the joy for me in, in all the work I've done and please God continue to do is that I've eked out enough space for myself in my working life that I have, I don't mean autonomy like I'm in charge, of course I'm not in charge, but, but in, t in terms of between action and cut, I don't, I don't want to have gone home that day ever thinking I wish I'd tried that. I can try everything and, and to, I want to be satisfied. You know, I mean, I want to be sated. Um, and that felt like that on Black Panther. You know, it, it was, regardless of size, my thing is always, regardless of whether it's a tiny indie film or a huge Marvel film, your job is the same. Mm -hmm. And your job, your, your relationship with the director should be the same. It's an artistic one, and it's a craft one. Whether you've got a billions or two quid, you want to make the scene as well as you can, and, you, and, you, and you're trying to work out how that's possible. So, and that's what I love doing on Black Panther as well. You know, we had a lot of chats about whoever it was and what, what his place in this world was, and, um, as, as Ryan did with every character. 
Um, but it's, it's, the same, it's the same job, it's the same relationship that you have on Nativity or whatever else, you know. You're just trying, you, between action and cut, you want the audience to believe what's happening. That's the, the end. You know what I mean? That's, that's your only job, really. I don't want to get all Desert Islandists about it, but mm. if there is a kind of favourite character that you... The Beatles. Have you got a favourite out of all these characters? Uh, n- no. No, I, I haven't. I mean, there are things that uh, I can't imagine... The way that my working life has gone, I can't imagine not having done The Hobbit mm. or Sherlock or The Office. You know what I mean? Like, and now Black Panther, you know, as, as, a, as a recent addition to my working life, of course, I'm very proud of that. Proud to have been part of something that feels... It's an, it's an artistic endeavour, but it's also a sort of social and cultural mm. phenomenon as well. Um, and obviously people want you to go back to things. They want you to do another Sherlock. They want you to do more Black Panther, which of course you're going to do. Yes, please God. Yeah. Do you, are there directions that you want to go in? I mean, a lot of them are unknown by me at the moment, mm-hmm. you know. I think what, I, what I've started to do and what I'll hopefully do more of is, uh, be, is be, be behind the creation of things, you know, and the actual, um, the sort of, coming to fruition of things. I, I, I like that. I like having a vote and not just an opinion, you know. Might that extend to writing and directing? Or I, See, I think I would need to get more confidence with those things, mm-hmm. especially with writing. Because people say to me, um, when I have this conversation, with, sometimes with writers, because, of course, writers don't see writing as this thing, as the writers, you know. And so a lot of writers have said to me, well, you know, you could write. You know, you, you're allowed to. And I'm like, well, I'm, it seems to me still like something that people from another planet do, you know, like music, you know. Like, how, do you, how do you do that? Um, what about directing, though? I could see that before... I could see that more. But even then, I don't know. I, I would need to get more confidence at that, mm-hmm. you know. And again, so many people have told me well, it's a question of delegation. You get a good DOP, you get a good editor, all this stuff. And I know that's always true, but the stuff that you have to do before you start shooting and then after you start shooting... I'm not sure my brain works like that. Mm. I'm not sure that I can do the months of pre and the months of post. I don't know. Co-direct. Maybe. Well, but, but my favourite thing is acting. Yeah. I think I'm quite good at acting. And, and, and that's what I have. <laughs> but genuinely, I, I think that's what I have to offer. Mm. And, and I'm not exactly backwards in coming forwards with my opinions on a set or in a rehearsal room. I definitely want my... You know, I want my flavour to be in there... Uh-huh. But, but I like the collaboration of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, directing is also collaborative if you're smart, you know, if you're a good director. But um, I don't know. I'm, I don't know that my brain is there for, okay, now three months we're going on another recce to some, else, mm. some other place. And, also, and I have to care as much about what rucksack someone's wearing as, you know, like, I don't care. You know, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, I, I, some people are fantastic at that, thankfully. But I, I love... I love my job, and so, and so many actors come to writing, not always, but so many come to writing because they're not acting, you mm. know what I mean? So in their downside, when they're feeling frustrated, they're not getting parts, mm. they do that. I, I've been very lucky, I've not had that. Mm. I mean, I know at some point I will, and everything is finite, but I've been lucky, I've worked. And so I've always had that, um, that muscle worked, mm. you know what I mean? I've always had that 
satisfying. And throughout your career, you've sort of flip-flopped between film, TV and theatre yeah. as well. Do you have a kind of first love out of those three disciplines? And are they different? They are quite different. But again, as I say, I think your job is always the same. Your job is to make the audience just believe for the duration of the play or the film or the television episode, just to believe you're, you're that character. Mm -hmm. That's it for me. Um, so that's the similarity. The, the execution of it, of course, is, is different. But I don't know that I have a first... I mean, I learned everything through theatre. Mm -hmm. Everything I know, the basics and rudiments of acting, I learned in a youth theatre in Teddington with a couple of people who are here tonight, you know, like, as a teenager. Um, and I owe that a lot. But I also know myself that I have a, quite a low boredom threshold and that I don't want to do a run for eight months or a year or even six months. I, I'm not necessarily built for that because I like to move on. I like to... I'm quite restless like that. Um, I do sort of... They're like children. You love them all equally. I mean, I, I, they've got all got different value, but all equal value in a way. When I, when I haven't done a play for a while, I'm desperate to do a play. And sometimes filming drives me up the frickin' wall. I mean, because sometimes the monotony of it or just the... Yeah, just the relentless stuff. Oh, we're going again. Oh, God, we're going again. Christ. You know, it's like <laughs> filming walking up a hill 56 times or so, you know. Um, but then the monotony of doing a play eight times a week for months and months is also, you know. Um, so I, that's why I quite like keeping on the move and being a moving target and doing mm. a, bit, a bit of that and then a bit of that. And it, it um, keeps me sane. Otherwise, I just sort of feel like I atrophy, you know. We're going to take some questions from the audience. Just while mm. we sort some microphones out, uh, I think they believe there is one on either side. Let me just ask you, do you know when you've done a good job? I mean, do you feel, you know, can, can, do you kind of, you know, do a take and go, do you know what, I nailed it? Occasionally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to say that, are you? No, uh, you but are. Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> yes, occasionally, yes. And has that got better as you've gone, as you've done more and more? Your own gauge for more... it, you mean? Say again? My own gauge yeah. for that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes, it has. Because I think like with anything, in whatever you do for a job, you should get better at it the more you do it. If you're a carpenter, you should get better with wood 20 years after you first... So, yeah, I th you, the hope is you've got better and your experience tells you that probably will work and that probably won't work. Mm. The job I just finished yesterday, there, were, there was a day that I really... I had to admit that it, it wasn't happening today. Do you know what I mean? And professionally, you are still at a baseline level of you have to deliver something, but whatever inspiration or Holy Spirit that you hope is going to descend on you, get it sometimes doesn't. And, um, and you have to be okay with that. Uh, and again, not that anyone else will necessarily agree or, or think that take was any different, but just so you can think, oh yeah, I, I did the best I could possibly do there. Some days, unfortunately, that doesn't happen. You know, and, um, and experience tells you to not kill yourself over it, you know. Perfect. Uh, let's take some questions. We've got a couple, one on either side down here. Uh, you first. Or whoever gets the mic first. Oh. Don't be shy. Hello. Go for it. Yeah, you were talking about the accent. Is that a big part of, uh, what to say, learning, acting process, studying of it, I mean, is that a big part of act acting when you learn, you Which, study? What, what, sorry? Sorry, my accent That's is... That's okay. <laughs> is uh, learning accent is a oh, big part sense. of acting process, learning? Um, yeah, when, when it's required, yeah. 
I mean, I, I don't think... Yeah, I mean, acting... I'm sorry, accents should be a byproduct of whatever character you're playing. You know what I mean, I think if the... Not every great actor is brilliant at accents. You know, that doesn't mean they're less great actors. But I think if you are doing an accent... if it, You know, if, if I come out and somebody, I'm playing an American and I sound Swedish, then I will have failed. Yeah, you know, like, that's, for that's the, a, uh, like for the accent from Fargo, it, yeah. it really changed from... The voice you... I yes, mean. absolutely, yeah. No, th yeah. no that, in that sense, it does inform... You know, I played a Glaswegian in a film a few years ago, and that it makes you... Things make you feel differently, yeah. Um, I mean, a, a, an old friend of mine, actually, he first saw Fargo. He's not, he's not an actor, but he, he was embarrassed because he thought my accent was terrible. <laughs> and, um, I've never met Because he didn't... No, exactly. He, he hadn't quite <laughs> clocked that it was meant to be... A, he's like, just thought I was doing a general American accent. <laughs> And um, he thought, well, Martin's shit at acting. <laughs> um, which, again, may or may not be true. But, he, but then when he figured out it was a specific kind of one, he gave me a bit of a pass. But, yeah, I think accents make you like anything because it's a physical act. Speaking is a physical act. And so if you're speaking in a different accent to your own one, uh, it makes you feel a different way. So in that sense, yes, it's very important. But I, but I think I would rather see a truthful, good performance in someone's own accent than a showy, offy performance in a different accent. Because it still has to be truthful and real. Yeah. Thank you. Down here. Thank you. And then up here. Uh, <coughs> hello. hello. Uh, my question is, uh, my question is, because you have done lots of work that are uh, adapted from the books or novels, and uh, apparently some of they are different, like the Sherlock is just to take the core of the books, but the, uh, the Hobbits, we know that Peter Jackson was really faithful for the original materials. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, my question is for you as an actor, um, um, uh, take part in this kind of adapted work. Will you uh, more care about like translate the words from the screenplay uh -huh. to the uh, uh, virtual arts, or, or will you also consider about the original mm. materials as yeah. well? Well, I like collaborating, and I, and I, I like giving choice. To th yes, I'm a big believer in if we're going to do 16 takes of something, um, you may as well try everything in those 16 times. Because if, if you've got the first one, if the director says, yeah, it was great, let's do it again, there's no, no point. There's no point doing it 16 ways the same, I don't think. As long as you're not disrupting anybody else's process. It's, A, it should be fun, and as I said, I have a low boredom threshold, so I want to try everything out. But also, I've got one eye on the edit for, for the director to give them choice. You know, and, I, and I think it's much better for the director, and I've heard this from many directors, it's nice to choose that or that, or, and they're distinct, different flavours. As long as they're still all part of the same story, it's fine. But I, I think I just want to give myself license to have fun and to have freedom. The other question being about the adaptations, uh, Ian McKellen was very, very uh, quite religious about having Tolkien on set all the time. So he loved going back to the books. <clears throat> and I see the value in that, definitely. And obviously we know how good Ian McKellen is and how fantastic Gandalf is. Um, so that obviously has great value. But also I'm aware that we're not strictly speaking doing... Tolkien's not on set. I mean, he's, he hasn't written the screenplay. <clears throat> the screenplay is written by Philippa, Fran, and Peter. And, and that's what we're actually dealing with. So 
beyond knowing... Yeah, I like to know the source material, definitely. But I, myself, rightly or wrongly, will probably be less reverential to the source material than the screenplay because it's the screenplay I'm actually doing. Thank you. Um, when you're looking at a script um, and trying to decide whether or not to take on a project, yeah. what sort of qualities in the script are likely to make you decide to go mm. with something? What do you find compelling, particularly? I suppose tonally what I find interesting is if I think it doesn't feel like it's been written by a committee or it doesn't feel like it's been written to tick boxes, it, but it feels uh, authored, I suppose. If it feels like a an authentic voice, you know, whatever that voice is, um, it feels, if it feels like someone means it, then that's always good. Uh, beyond that, then it's just about whether someone can write or... But, but I, you know, there are plenty of scripts that I've read that I really like, and some of which I've done, that are not, you know, they're not Oscar Wilde in terms of grammar and in terms of, you know, like, they're not beautifully written, but if they're real and if they're, you know, real as far as that writer is concerned. I'm always interested in that. I like scripts that are, I like, I like people who aren't begging to be liked, and I like scripts like that. Especially, you know, comedies that aren't begging for your laughs, but are just going to set out their stall, and if, if you like this, great. If you don't, then fine. Have you got better at, writing, at reading scripts? Yes, I suppose I've got quicker, to be fair. Whether that means I've got better, I don't know. I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope I haven't got worse, but... Um, uh, yeah, I suppose you know your own process for when you read scripts. Because uh, the old cliche is true. People read scripts wanting this to be their next thing. Every script that comes onto my laptop, I think, I, I hope, I love this, you know. Um, so that's why, with that in mind, it's like when you see something really good, like, if I think of, like, say, Fleabag, say, right? That looks to me, I mean, obviously it's brilliantly written, it's brilliantly crafted, as it turns out, but, but at first you just think, this is just someone writing what the hell she likes. She's like, she's making up any old shit she wants to, you know, <laughs> without much um, deference to the process or what should be in a programme. It's like it's someone's just imagination that's gone like that on a page, and I, and I like that. Um, I like the boldness of that. That's obviously not always going to work, but if you're good and if you're smart, then it will work. I, I like people taking a bit of a punt, I suppose. And for me personally, if, it, if it's a, I look out for a, if a director or writer has sent me something that I haven't played 15 times before, um, that's obviously something as well. Yeah. Thank you. Question, uh, question beside and then there. Um, hi, I'm a big fan of your theatre work. And Thank you. You're very brilliant. And I kind of like your Richard Tulls. You know, the oh. Shakespeare's very old for me, but now I love it. It's so modern when you, you play it. And my question is you, um, like, you're um, acting very much layered character, and how you build up this character. You know, just a script is just, you know, like, it's paper, but yeah. you build up someone who has, like, backstories, history, et cetera, so, and it's kind of different from way you make it different for other person. So what is your regular procedure to build up these characters? Thank you. Uh, my procedure would vary. Um, for someone like Richard III, it would be, I suppose that, that's something that's been performed lots and lots and lots over centuries. So at the same time, you're trying not to just recreate someone else's Richard III, say, but you're also 
you're also aware that there are parameters there. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a, definitely a structure there that probably works, so you should probably follow the structure. Um, generally speaking, I just want to, f like every actor does, just f flesh it out, just make it three-dimensional. Because, the, yeah, the page is absolutely one thing. And I think your job as an actor, I see part of my job is to elevate the material. And that sounds um, possibly very pretentious and uh, uh, presumptive, presumptuous. But um, I think it's, it is sort of your job. If the writing is really good, let's, tr I mean, uh, what a noble hope to try and make it even better, you know. That's not by rewriting it, but it's just by making it totally human. And again, as I say, offering choice. Um, At the same time, I don't believe in railroading a script or a scene and thinking, I'm just going to pull this all the way from it, you know, make it something else. It has to serve the story, you know. I think if what you're doing isn't ultimately subject to the story and the point that the writer and director want to make, uh, it's surplus to requirements, you know. You, you have to kind of get out whatever individual creative thing that you want to do and whatever show-offy bits that you want to do, but it has to serve a the common thread, I suppose. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you see it, you're, someone's pulling over here when the story wants to go over there, but they're wanting to show you how they can fucking juggle or something. It's like, well, who cares? No one cares. It's not serving the scene or the story. And so, I don't know, I, I like to, yeah, I like to make things relatable and real. Yes. I don't have, as you can see, I don't have a procedure. <laughs> I, I wish I had a better answer. Yeah. Uh, there was a question there. Yep. And then we may have time for one more. Hi. Hello. Um, I think you're very inspirational, and oh, I really you. like your confidence. <laughs> and I think it's something you really need to be an actor, because mm. I think, I imagine it's really tough. Uh, do you have, like, any advice for an aspiring young actor who wants to start a career, hopefully? Is that you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well... <laughs> the only thing I did, and the thing that I always feel, is that uh, I hope you love it, you know, because you'll, you'll need to, because you will, um, pr you know, because it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to make a living at, and it's, it's hard to even make a bad living at, you know, like, you can, it's hard to even stay in poverty, <laughs> you know, because just to get this job and then that job, you know, like, if you get three jobs even vaguely in a row, that's... You're doing well, you know. So I, th I think, love it, firstly. Try and be good before you be anything else, I would say, you know. You seem like a sensible person. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, try and be good before you're famous or try and be good before you're well-known or anything, you know. Because I, I think, ultimately, if you think, well, if no one else... And part of the reason that we do what we do is to share it. But if no one else is ever going to see it or no one else is ever going to be lucky enough to have this for the, you know, like, I am very fortunate in the, some of the public reaction to some of the things that I do. But say if that wasn't going to happen, do I think I've done a good job? Do I think I've been good? Or do I think I'm improving? So I think attending to the craft side of it, I, I find very um, uh, important, I think, you know. Having fun is important. Not being, not taking yourself too seriously, I think, is important, but... I don't know. Having, having a thick skin is probably the thing. I, I joined a youth theatre and then I was lucky enough to get into drama school. So that was my routine. But not everyone has the same thing. But I think wherever it's possible, if you want to act, 
find somewhere where you'll be able to act, whether it's a local amateur dramatics company or a youth theatre or whatever, you know. Because that's where you find out if you really want to do it rather than trying to get an agent and being famous or something, you know, like, because you, you better be doing it because you love it. Because if you don't love it, it's a terrible job. <laughs> I mean, like, it's a hard enough job if you do love it. And it's a, it's a cruel job sometimes if you love it. So just, yeah, make sure that that connection is there first before anything else, I would say. And good luck. Thank you. We're going to take one final question. No pressure. Make it a good one. Done. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> Not these undercover midgets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Little people. Sorry. Sorry. Go for it. Um, you said that you leave work at work. Um, I was I just wondering. What, what, you leave, work, you at leave work? work at work. Yeah. I was just wondering: is there a part that you've played that you felt that was actually hard leaving it at work, not bringing it home with you, or? I mean, there are plenty. Of, I mean, there are plenty of things that I'm, I remind myself all the time, or I'm reminded of the fact that that uh, I find a lot of it hard, or as in, I think, God, I can't do this very well, you know, like, just as I think. I'm quite good at acting, I'm quite good at this, there'll usually be something that happens where I think, no, this is completely eluding me and I'm not getting it at all. And you forget actually how difficult on a day-to-day -day level that it can be, you know. Um, but as far, genuine, not as far as bring, bringing stuff home with me, no. I mean, not, not, I never bring characters home with me, ever, because I'm not mad. <laughs> <laughs> and, there's, and I don't think there's any... Um, there's nothing good about bringing a cat. It's like, it's, you don't get points. For, in, for my opinion, this is my school of thought. There's no virtue in bringing a character home with you and treating your wife like a twat, you know, just because, well, I'm playing this guy. Yeah, good, man. Great, great. <laughs> there are plenty of things that are hard because from a practitioner's point of view, you're not getting, but not... No, I've never found that thing about bringing a... Again, for me, the, the heavier the scene, the more... Emotionally hard, the scene, I find hum humans, never mind actors, at some point in every funeral, someone's going to laugh. Do you know what I mean? And there will be laughter, you know? And people will find the joy in something. In the worst, worst, worst human situations, what do people, they, they often actually, they look intrinsically for humour and laughter. And so actually, if I'm doing something quite heavy, what I you can't wait to be able to laugh and do all that. So I, I, that's why I never bring heaviness home. I mean, my kids will tell you, don't talk to them, but they, they will tell you if you were going to ask them, don't ask them, is that I'm, I'm heavy enough anyway. You know what I mean? Like, I'm a fairly moody bastard anyway, so um, I don't need that from work. You know, I, I get made very happy by work, you know, and I get made deliriously happy at work, but no, I, if I'm playing a real nasty, nasty, manipulative, horrible person, as I've occasionally done, I have never found that a problem at home. Because I've got enough of that in me anyway. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, there's enough of that in all of us that there's, you don't really need to rely on the excuse of playing a part like that because it's all in you anyway, you know. Thank you. We're yeah. going to go and ask your kids now if that's actually true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't ask them anything. I'm so sorry that we have run out of time. Thank you all for your questions and for being here. But most of all, thank you so much, Martin Freeman. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.